This picture up here on the screen is a picture of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. It is absolutely incredible. I did some reading on the Golden Gate Bridge this week, and I wanted to share a little bit of what I found with you, just kind of as an introduction to what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, The Golden Gate Bridge originally was designed at the end of the 19th century, and the man who designed it was told he was absolutely crazy, that there was no way they could build a bridge, a suspension bridge, no less, that spanned across the almost two miles of the bay between Marin County and San Francisco. They believed he was so crazy, in fact, that it took another 50 years for them to even begin construction on the Golden Gate Bridge after a couple of different design iterations. The Golden Gate Bridge ended up costing uh, the equivalent of about $650 million today. I began construction by putting these footings here in the water. You see uh, one on either side of the bay there. And each of those concrete footings weighs about 44,000 tons apiece. And the concrete footings themselves took three years to construct. This is before there was any bridge, this is before there's any way to walk across, just the concrete footings themselves took three years each to construct. And then they hung these cables across the the bridge there between the two footings. Now, those cables are about 36 inches in diameter. And they're made up of a bunch of smaller wires that are all twisted together. And if you were to undo those cables and take all the smaller wires together and line them up end to end, they would go around the Earth's equator three times. Uh, the, the, the suspension here and, and, and what uh, the, t- the testimony even to human engineering, th- this thing is built to sway. Did you know that? It's not rigid, it actually moves, and it moves 25 to 30 feet each way, depending on how the wind is blowing through the bay there. Could you imagine being in your car on that bridge, and the thing going, ooh, ooh, like, uh, that would be it for me. It would be over. Life would be over. I would be so incredibly terrified. Uh, The reason I was reading about the Golden Gate Bridge uh, this week is because I I wanted to talk to us a little bit about why we're having this conversation for the last two weeks, last week and this week, about vision. Because here's the deal, when vision, strategy, and the Spirit of God come together, great things happen. Vision, strategy, and the Spirit of God come together. Uh, In the case of the Golden Gate Bridge, somebody had a vision, an incredible vision, a vision that uh, most believed could not be accomplished, but he saw that vision through to the end. And then someone else took that vision, the contractor now took that vision and said, I see the vision you've got and, and I can put strategy to it to help us accomplish that vision. And you know, whether you know it or not, the spirit of God was absolutely involved with the Golden Gate Bridge. Anything that spans over two miles of a bay absolutely had to have God in the middle of it. At the very least, when you're driving over the bridge, you should be praying, right? So that's kind of where we're at as a church. We've taken the last couple weeks, last week again and this week, to remind us of who we are, what we do, and what is our strategy of how to get there. Because where vision, strategy, and the Spirit of God come together, great things happen, and this vision we have to see our world transformed, to see disciples made is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It is an incredible goal, far greater than setting a goal to build a bridge across a bay. 
I mean, I still believe that the local church is the God's hope for the world, that it's his chosen vehicle for bringing the transformation that he desires. I, I seek, that, that I, I would desire that hunger would be eliminated in our world and starvation would be eliminated in our world and this epidemic of loneliness that we deal with and sex trafficking and all the brokenness that we see in our world would be healed and I believe that God has chosen his church to do it. That's us. And I want my life to count for something I don't know about you. I want my life to count for something. I don't want to just wrap it up one day and and be buried somewhere and be done with it. I want to leave a legacy here of change. I want to join with God in his redemptive mission. And, And I want our church to do that very same thing. To say we will put our hands in the middle to see God do amazing and unbelievable and incredible and great things. And in order to do that, we've got to have a vision, a strategy, and absolutely the empowering work of the Spirit of God in our lives. That's what we're doing. And quite frankly, that's why I get so excited to talk about vision and strategy. I know for some of you, you're like, these are the most boring sermons ever. That's fine. I disagree. I get pumped because I believe when we understand this and not just understand it, but participate in it, we will absolutely see God do great things in our church and in our city. So track with me this morning because this is so critical for us to wrap our mind around together. Let's pray. God, we invite you to speak to us. Once again, God, as we've done so many Sundays before, um, to be present in this place. Jesus, bring healing and hope, bring encouragement, conviction. And may your voice be the only voice that's heard here. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen. So question number one from last week was what do we make? What do we make? And we don't make bridges, we make what? Disciples, we make disciples. Uh, We ask this question, what is a disciple? Because that's kind of insider language and a disciple is simply a living copy of the master. A living copy of the master. That's what we desire to do, that all of us would be disciples of Jesus. That is to say, we would be living, breathing, moving, fully animated copies of Jesus, that we would love what he loves, hate what he hates, speak the way he speaks, eat the way he eats, walk the way he walks, talk the way he talks, that people would see us and go, that is a living copy of Jesus. And that we would make other living copies of Jesus by introducing people to him. So when Jesus was alive and walking around the planet, and he's still alive, by the way, but when Jesus was walking the planet, it was a little bit easier to be a disciple, at least uh, not easier, but maybe simpler, because you would just follow him around. You just follow him around and just do what he does. What kind of sandals did you buy today? You know, what kind of tunic are you wearing? What brand is that? Is that a, is that a Gucci tunic? Probably not. But you would just do whatever it is that Jesus would do. But then when he died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, he's no longer on the planet anymore. Things get a little more complicated, don't they? Because you can't just follow him. You can't just walk around and, and just copy exactly what he did. So what we have now is a picture in that early church after Jesus had ascended into heaven What was it that they were doing? What habits and practices were they incorporating? How did they organize themselves such that they would grow into living copies of the master? So we're gonna remind ourselves of the scripture that we read from last week, and we're gonna read it slowly this week because it really is the anchor 
for everything we're going to talk about this morning. So pay really close attention. Luke writes this of the early church. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here in this description of the early church and then affirmed and confirmed throughout the New Testament, what we have is these four practices. This is the way we talk about it here at Bayview Glen. These four habits, practices. It's a little bit of a trellis that your vine attaches itself to, to grow into a living copy of the master. And it's these four words, discovering, dedicating, declaring, and demonstrating. A disciple does these things. A disciple is always discovering a life connected to God and others. A disciple is dedicating him or herself to God's word and prayer. A disciple declares the good news about Jesus and then demonstrates that good news in all of life. So our vision here at Bayview Glen, our preferred future is that by 2030, we endeavor to be a family of 6,000 of those living copies of the master with 3,000 in life groups and 3,000 in serve teams. And that's where we left off last week. That's where we kind of concluded our sermon with, with that's our strategy is life groups and serve teams. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week is what those are and why we do them the way that we do them. And I want you to know that this morning, my one goal is to get you to take your next step here at Bayview Glen Church. That's my goal. Join a life group, join a serve team, begin to invest and engage in the mission. So I'm going to ask you, exhort you, and even, listen closely now, I'm going to articulate some expectations for you this morning. But before, before I articulate my expectations of you, I would like to answer this question, what can you expect me to do, right? Because I, I don't want to articulate expectations for you without telling you what I'm going to do. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Paul encourages me to do. He, Paul writes this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So if I am the shepherd and teacher here in this place, what is my job according to the scripture? Read those words with me. To equip Are we tired from shoveling snow? Is that the, is that the deal? For, for those of you, just so you know, for those of you who live below Highway 7, I have no sympathy for you. I, I live in Uxbridge. I shoveled last, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It's not an illustration or anything. I shoveled last night. I got outside because, you know, you want to keep, you want to shovel like as it goes, right? You don't want to wait till it all piles up. So I got out last night and I started shoveling. And I shoveled our driveway and I shoveled our walk. And I finally got back around to where I started on our driveway. And it was exactly the way it looked when I started. It was the way, because snow just kept dumping, man. That stuff just keeps coming. Is it snowing outside right now? No, some of you said yes. Some of you live in different parts of the GTA. All right. I've heard it said before, if you don't like the weather in Toronto, wait 30 minutes. Um, so here's the deal. We're going to say this together again, that the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are here to do what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. So what can you expect me to do is give you tools to do ministry. 
Here's what Paul is saying, that pastors are more Home Depot than they are handymen. My job is not to come to your house and do the work of the ministry. My job is to give you tools so you can do it. My job is to provide you and equip you with, with, with tools to share your faith, with, with knowledge of the scripture. My job is to give you opportunities to step into commun- community and service and those kinds of things, to grow to be a disciple and to edify the body of Christ. My job is not to do ministry. My job as a pastor, my job as a saint is to do ministry, Right? Because all of us, we are all saints called out by God to do ministry. So that's my, but my job as the pastor is to equip you with tools to do the work of the ministry. And that's really what our strategy is. That's how we'll get there toward that vision. Our strategy is simply the tools that we've decided to use here at Bayview Glen to help you A, grow as a disciple and B, make disciples of others. And that strategy is really represented in kind of these three phrases in it. Uh, we can worship life groups and serve teams. This is what we do. We have other things that we do here. We have other kind of ongoing things here and there. But, but this is our kind of large, uh, kind of overarching umbrella strategy. We do weekend worship, life groups, and serve teams. And, and I want to talk about the, those first two first, weekend worship and life groups, and show you how our strategy reflects Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Look up here on the screen. Uh, Luke writes says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So here's what you see in the early church. They were all gathering in the temple initially on Saturday, but then on Sunday, because that was resurrection Sunday, everybody together in corporate worship. But then throughout the week, they would gather in their homes. Do you see the large group, small group kind of mentality there? Corporate worship, celebration, and uh, meeting together in fellowship throughout the week in their, in their homes. And that's really what weekend worship and life groups are. That's what we do here. You are in weekend worship right now. Some of you have your life group this week. I have mine this afternoon, as a matter of fact. So here, here's what I want to do. I want to describe to you our vision and philosophy behind those three areas, weekend worship, life groups, and serve teams, as, there's, as it's reflected in scripture. And I wanna do it in a way that maybe helps you understand them a little bit more and helps you get in a frame of mind to make them most edifying for you and give you the most growth as, as a disciple of Jesus. First one up here is, is weekend worship. And I would like you to look at it as kind of the big family dinner. This is what we're doing right here. The big family dinner, everybody's invited. Now, we didn't have a lot of these growing up in my family. We just didn't have the big extended family things. It just wasn't kind of what we did. But then I married an Italian and Italians have these things. Italians have these things where everybody there is family but you're not sure how they're related to you. You know, what, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, Italian, Greek, you know, some of those backgrounds, you're going, what in the world? How is there 200 people at this family dinner? My wife's maiden name is Caruso, right? Caruso. And there's the Carusos and the Famusas. And the first family dinner I went to, she said, oh, come over, it's a family lunch. There were literally 120 people there. I'm like, you cannot be related to all these people. Amy says, I'm sure I am, I just don't know how. You know, Italians, I mean, it's just like, they're like gremlins. You throw water on them. There's a bunch of them, right? They're just all over the place. And that's what I, then eventually we get married and there were about 250 people that attended our wedding, about 250. You know how many from my family? Seven. 
seven. That's how we rolled growing up. And then the rest were Caruso's and Famosa's. That's how I want this to feel. So on Thanksgiving and on Easter and weddings and big things, they all come together and they all celebrate and they all know we're part of the same family. I might, know not, I might not know how I'm related to you, but I know that I am, right? Because we're unified in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we do. We hear from Jesus uh, through his word. We celebrate him and worship him. We celebrate child dedications and we celebrate communion and baptisms and we grieve when it's appropriate and all those things together as a large body. In 2012, typically we would have about 500 people, that's adults and children and weekend worship. Today we have about 1,200, that's about our typical on Sunday morning, so we've grown quite a bit over the last six or seven years. Uh, this hasn't changed very much in the last couple years in terms of our weekend worship attendance because we haven't initiated a bunch of growth because we've needed to catch up with some of our infrastructure and stuff. Our, our joke with staff is that we've been building the plane while it's in the air which is not a lot of fun all the time. So now that we've caught up, what we'd like to do is implement some more growth strategies over the course of this year and hopefully aim to get to about 1,500 or 1,600 by the end of our calendar year. The way we're gonna do that is by launching a couple of series this year, hopefully that you would want to bring your friends to. And then in September, our goal is, and this, this is not written in stone or even, even in ink, it's written in that stuff that you do on your iPhone and it disappears right away just in case. So we've kind of penciled this in as September as a launch of a Sunday evening service to kind of accommodate growth in here and to catalyze growth and to reach more folks. And so uh, the other things that, that I want to let you know about is kind of what you can expect over the course of the year in terms of weekend worship. So next week, uh, we are not going to be talking about vision, mission, and strategy. We're going to go uh, back to teaching the word of God, teaching just straight from the scripture. And what we're going to do next week is finish our study in the book of John. Can you believe it? How many of you with, were with us through the series in the book of John? It took me three years and I didn't even finish it. And where I landed was on John chapter 21, which is my favorite chapter in all the Bible. Not kidding. So we're going to finish up next week with John chapter 21. The following week, Toronto Mass Choir will be here. That's the first Sunday in February. Do not miss Toronto Mass Choir and bring a friend. They're all kinds of fun. And we start a series called Stranger in a Strange Land, a study in the book of Daniel. Thank you very much for that suggestion. Daniel was a young man in his teens when he was taken out of Jerusalem with three of his good friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they were transported and exiled to this uh, this culture that they didn't really fit in. They were God followers in a culture that didn't really want them there. You ever feel that way? Trying to follow God in a culture that's not all that easy to follow God in? So we're gonna learn from the book of Daniel. Then on Easter, we're gonna launch a series where we're actually gonna poll our congregation and say, what do you want us to talk about? We've done that before with the questions series. If you were here for that, we've done that before with this might get awkward and it did get awkward a couple of times. So we're gonna do that. Then Sundar Krishnan will be here for three weeks in May talking about prayer. We've got some great stuff planned for the summer. And then in the fall, as we kick off, we're gonna do a series that's really geared towards bringing your friends because our goal is to reach more people with the good news about Jesus. So that's what you can expect over the course of the year from a sermon and teaching perspective. We'll continue with the fantastic worship and all that we've done over the last couple of years. Then we have these things called life groups. Life groups, they're, they're groups of people that meet throughout the week. And, and, and I would like you to look at these as kind of your nuclear family time, right? Not nuclear as in nuclear event that was supposed to happen in Ajax last week. Did anybody else get that warning? 
Did you get that warning on your iPhone? This is not just some random thing. So you get the warning on your iPhone. There might be a nuclear leak in Ajax. And then 20 minutes later, it was like, oh, we made a mistake. I was like, oh, thank you. That was, for 20 minutes, I thought I was going to have a cardiac issue, but here we are. So, so your nuclear family time is in your smaller family time. So this, on, on the weekends, is our big family dinner. And then your life groups throughout the week is kind of those close-knit folks in your life. And our life groups really take on three postures, and those postures are family, servant, and sent. Just three words that define who we are. Because they're not Bible studies, although they do study the Bible. They're not prayer groups, although they do pray. But they're families of servants who are sent into the world to transform the world. The reason we use this word family is because all over the scripture, uh, we are told that we are sons and daughters of the king. We're actually going to sing about that at the end of the worship today. Uh, Paul and the rest of the apostles refer to the body as brethren, as brothers and sisters. Again, we try to take on that posture of family and life groups by celebrating big events together. We've celebrated in my life group weddings and, and, and children being born. We've grieved together the loss of family members. We've grieved together as some of us have tried to have children and had a difficult time doing that. We, we really have bonded together as a family and that's our invitation to you in a life group to be a part of a family. Then we also serve one another. Because Jesus said of himself that he did not come into the world to be served. He didn't show up and go, bring me stuff. He showed up and said, I am here to serve you. So as we take on his posture, it's an opportunity for us in life groups to serve one another. And then we're also sent into the neighborhood, into the community to make a difference and transform. And these three postures of family, servant, and sent, I'll be honest with you, I've been a part of Bible studies now for 25 years, small groups for 25 years, and I feel like a lot of times they've been a little imbalanced, to be honest with you. You know, you come in and you do a Bible study and it's an hour and a half of like kind of didactic teaching and the content delivery, but you don't really get to know people. Or maybe it's a group of people that are out doing social justice things, you know, repainting a playground, but there's not like a lot of Jesus and spirit in the midst of it. So what we've tried to do from a life group design perspective is create these three postures each and every week so that we are learning to live as a family of servants on mission. A few years ago when we launched Life Groups in about 2014, we had about 100 folks in community here at Bayview Glen. That's a, kind of an approximation. And then uh, now we've got about uh, 300. And in fact, after our Life Group launch next week, which we will hope you'll be a part of, we should have about 400. And by the end of the year, I'd love to have about 500 in Life Groups and growing our life group participation, not because we want to be bigger, but because we believe that the strategy that God has given us will help us accomplish, accomplish the mission and the vision that he's given to us. So you've got weekend worship and life groups. And then finally, look at what Luke writes about the church. He says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So this was laying down my own needs, wants, and desires in order to meet your needs. That's what's happening there. And it wasn't just a financial thing. In fact, it was a time and resources thing. People giving up themselves, taking on the posture of Jesus in order to serve somebody else. That's why we have serve teams. That's why we have groups of people that are designed specifically to serve the body of Christ. 
Uh, when we started tracking serve team numbers, just so you know, it's a state of the union and kind of how we're doing in terms of accomplishing that vision. When we started tracking numbers in June of last year, we had about 300 people on serve teams. By the end of 2019, in six months, we're up to 400 on serve teams. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because it gives people an opportunity again to, uh, to establish community, to engage with others, and to most importantly, take on the posture of Jesus and serve somebody. By the end of the year, I'd love to see 500 or so on serve teams. And in order to do that, you know, because I would love to just hit our goal by the end of January, or maybe even by the end of the service, what I want to do is tell you a little bit about some of the serve teams that are here at Bayview Glen Church that you can engage with in order to take on the posture of Jesus and make a contribution to this family. And, and, and then I want to give you an opportunity to step into those. So here's some of the things that we do uh, here at Bayview where you would be invited to be a part of a serve team. You can be on an alpha serve team. If you love creating conversations that are safe for people to explore questions about life and community and eternity and faith, and you love eating, Alpha's for you. Every time Alpha gathers, they get together, have a meal, and have a safe conversation for those who don't yet know Jesus. Fantastic way to serve here. You can serve on worship, tech, and production. In order to serve with these guys, you have to know what you're doing. But in order to serve with tech and production and some of the other things we do, we can train you, we can equip you, we can help you grow into that. You can serve on the communion team. Did you know that we've got a group of serve team members that once a month come here early and prep communion for us? And then between services, they clean up, turn it over and make it available for the next service. It's a great serve team. The counters, the counters, and literally the, the, the counters, they don't have like a creative serve team title. They're just the counters. What do they do? They count, that's right, uh-huh, that's exactly what they do. On Wednesdays, it's a group of folks that come and they actually count the offering from Sundays. And, and you know, we, we put cash and checks and whatever and we put it all in a safe so it's secure. And then these, these volunteers, these serve teams, and I love the counters. I love going in to see them because they're usually in the boardroom and they're all like drinking coffee and they all like, they, they don't want digital anything. They use those old school calculators, you know, that like have the receipts, you know, pouring out of them and all that stuff. And, and, and they're all so incredibly committed. It looks like mission control for like Houston, we have a problem, you know? It looks like everybody's smoking. I mean, it's, it's no, they're not smoking. <laughs> No, not smoking. Burl, Burl Butt, I hope you found that funny. And the people in there, Burl Butt, Bev Hoover, uh, Ron Reeser, Ron Graham, uh, the uh, Cobers, uh, Peter Bowler, like these are some fantastic, faithful people who have been here a long time. And if you want to A, serve your church and have some outstanding experience of discipleship right at your fingertips to ask questions about how to be a follower of Jesus through life, you need to get on the counting team. Also, if you like coffee, that's a great place to be. What else do we have? We have ESL. We have over 300 people engaged in, in learning English as a second language by studying the scripture right here on campus. That program is completely run by serve team members. We have a prayer team after the service comes down front and prays for anybody who has a need. If you like to pray and come alongside someone in prayer, we'd love to have you there. Our guest services team, if you love people, you love make people... Uh, feeling welcomed and feeling loved, being on our guest services team, our connect team greeters, it's a great place for you to serve. If you dislike people, then be an usher because that is the team that does the stuff that nobody wants to do and makes people angry. And some of those folks are like, that's what I love to do. And they serve that way. And we would love for you to be an usher. Ushers, I'm kidding. I hope you know that. 
Bayview Kids, if you want to invest in the next generation, and we have a crazy need in Bayview Kids ministry. In fact, over the last six years, our Bayview Kids ministry has grown by five times. Five times. People need to stop having babies. Something, something is happening over there. So, so we need some folks to invest in the next generation. Bayview youth growing as well. If you want to invest in youth, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities here. One of them is, is the deacons. You can serve on the deacons team. Check this out. In Acts chapter six, the church was growing so rapidly that they tried to start meeting the needs of widows, especially in their midst. And some of the widows came to them and were like, look, this is kind of off whack. Like she's getting something, he's getting something, and I'm not getting, and my friend's not getting, and it's out of balance. And the apostles go, oh my gosh, you're right. You're right. And we don't have time to do that because we need to dedicate ourselves to prayer and the word. So they recruited seven people full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit to serve those in their congregation who are hurting, those who are aging, those who are having difficulty. And so that's what our deacons do. They help with funerals and hospital visits. They write letters to those who are grieving. They come alongside people in difficult, difficult times and love and serve them so that the pastors here can focus on the word and prayer in accordance with Acts chapter six. Our deacons are a fantastic team. We have one-off serve opportunities all the time. We do a campus cleanup or this, that, or the other thing. And we have opportunities there. And then we have other opportunities that come up all the time. And we would love for you. And I would invite you, encourage you, exhort you to say, I am going to put my hand in the middle and contribute to this family as we pursue a vision together. So the question that you might be asking is, oh my gosh, Lucas, I'm excited about the vision. I'm excited about the strategy. What can I do? What can I do? And I'm so glad that you asked. Thank you. You can do two things. You can be a disciple, then you can make disciples. Be a disciple and make disciples. Live a life in conformity with Jesus and his teaching as Jeremy even read over us, that we would sacrifice everything and bring all to him in worship and not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we are living copies of the master and that we would make disciples. Specifically speaking, I would say that there are three things that you can do. First, you can be here. You can be here. You're already here, but continue to be here at our big family dinner as we celebrate each and every Sunday. Then, sometimes, I know I say this, lead a life group, or join a life group, join a life group, join a life group. I don't know, that bar's too low. I would like you to lead a life group. That's what I want you to do. That's what I'm asking you to do. Some of you, I'm terrified to lead a life group because I feel like I've got to be Bible answer boy or I feel like I'm the one that's got to talk all the time and I'm kind of introverted. No, no, no. You have to facilitate three postures, family, servant, and sent. It's not complicated. I actually called my life group. I don't lead a life group. I'm in one. I don't lead one. I called my life group leader this week. I said, hey, talk to me about your expectations. Talk to me about what you thought life group leadership was going to be and what it really was. And he said, well, I I thought I was going to have to be Bible answer man. And I don't. I mean, this is just an opportunity for us to get together, pray for each other, relate to one another, celebrate together, grieve together. And I can do that. I can facilitate that. And he said, I I thought I was going to have to talk all the time. And he said, Lucas, you know me, I'm introverted. I don't talk a lot. And then I got into the group and you were there. And so I didn't have to talk because you just fill up all the space. I mean, I think we're afraid of this a little bit because when we misunderstand discipleship, we misunderstand leadership. Can I say that one more time? I think it's critical. When we misunderstand discipleship 
as being a, I get more Bible knowledge, therefore I become a disciple. When we misunderstand that, we misunderstand leadership because then we assume that all leadership is, is telling people more about the Bible. But discipleship is not that. Discipleship is reorganizing our life so that we conform to the patterns of Jesus in all of what we do. Discipleship is being a family, being servants, and being sent. And when we can understand that that's discipleship, leading toward that is far more accessible. So I would encourage you to step into life group leadership, and we can help train and equip you for that. And then I would say to you, join a serve team. Join a serve team in order to develop community, in order to take on the posture of Jesus, in order to make sure that the needs of our family are met here. And you might be wondering, well, what can I do? How can I do that? And it's right up here on the screen. All you gotta do is text the word next to this number up here on the screen. We will send you a link. You click that link and we'll walk you right through it and get you in a life group on a serve team and make it work for you. And, and listen, here's the thing. You have a next step at Bayview Glen Church. Some of you are brand new with us in the last month, two months, six months. What's my next step? It's a life group and it's a serve team. And we wanna help you do that and it makes it very, very easy. All you gotta do is pick up your phone and do it. So here's the thing. Here's where we've been. We've been talking about discipleship, becoming living copies of the master. We talked about those practices that every disciple engages in, kind of that trellis that we connect our vine to. And those four practices are discovering, dedicating, declaring, and demonstrating. And we've talked about our strategy here at Bayview Glen, just kind of this big family dinner together, the corporate or the nuclear family time and life groups throughout the week and our serve teams. The reason we do that is because we need to have a strategy to help us accomplish this big vision that God has given us. And what all of this leads to, starting from that cornerstone of what do we make? We make disciples. What all of it leads to is this big umbrella mission. Not what do we make disciples, not what's our preferred future, where are we going to be in 10 years, but why do we even exist at all? And here's where I want to conclude this morning with our mission statement, just to be reminded of why we're even here at all. And here it is. First, we work together. We work together All of us have a role, all of us have a job, all of us are given spiritual gifts and abilities in order to edify the body. If you don't know what yours are, we will help you discover them and then employ them to edify this body. We don't pay the pastors to do ministry. We don't ask those who have a title like elder or deacon. This is not for the professionals or for the vocational. All of us work together So that, the reason I even highlight that word, so that, is because our goal ultimately is not unity. We have a goal and unity is kind of a secondary consequence of sharing that goal. And this is the goal that everyone everywhere, regardless of faith background, regardless of ability level or age or sexuality or gender or ethnicity, Every person, everywhere, made in the image of God and loved incredibly by him would experience, not just know about or hear about, but live in and experience two things. One, God's love, his incredible, his unconditional, his unfathomable love for them and his created purpose through Jesus. 
Because God has a purpose for you. You're not here by accident. God has a purpose for your marriage. God has a purpose for your work. God has a design for your finances. God has set rules and, 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 and guidelines in place to help you live a life that, that is a living copy of the master, Jesus. He has a purpose for you through Jesus. That's why we're here and that's what we do. My hope, and, and, and again, some of you, I, I know, you're just thinking, man, oh man, let's just get back to the Bible. And, and I'm with you. We're gonna go back there next week in John chapter 21. But listen, we have to take a moment to step back each year and say, what does the Bible say about who we are? And I hope you saw that this morning. This is firmly rooted in scripture. Who are we? What do we do? Where are we headed? And how can we engage and that's what I would invite you to do this morning is to just take your next step here at Bayview Glen Church. Let's pray together. So God, we're grateful for your presence here with us through your Holy Spirit. God, I just uh, think of even the words of Jesus that he did not leave us alone or leave us as orphans, but he sent the helper, the counselor, the paraclete, the comforter, your spirit to be here with us, not just with the disciples 2,000 years ago, but here with us right now in this room. And so we're grateful. God, I'm grateful for community, the first service this morning and also this service, and looking out and seeing so many names and faces that I know and stories that I know. The good, the bad, the difficult, the celebrations, the challenges. God, we're all in it together as a family. And so I'm grateful to be a part of this family. God, I pray that you would impress upon our heart this vision and mission and strategy. And not just impress it upon our heart, God, but call us, motivate us, compel us, convict us, each one in this place that's maybe struggling with what their next step is and Maybe they don't know what it is. Maybe they're afraid to take it. Maybe they're not convicted enough to take it, whatever, God, but break down those barriers so that we can continue to link arms and work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Thank you for what you've done in our church already. Thank you for the opportunities, the opportunities we have to share a verbal witness about you and declare your good news. Thank you for the generosity, even in this place. I think of Christmas Eve and the ways that we gave away all that offering and demonstrated the good news. God, thank you for your word and that we can dedicate ourselves to it and see ourselves transformed by it. God, call us to a next step, not so that our church grows or so that we have all our needs met or whatever, God, but call us to that next step so that we can continue to be a living copy of the master. Together with enthusiasm, the people of God said, amen.